Hello and welcome. It's Graham Norton here. Thank you very much for listening to my Virgin Radio podcast. Coming up, impressionist John Culshaw tells us all we need to know about his performance in Barnes People. Michael Cashman tugs on your heartstrings in memoir, one of them. Gabrielle brings us musical gifts from her upcoming album, Do It Again. And the lovely Eve Hewson gives us our drama fix from her new series, Behind Her Eyes. But first, here's Maria. I had a vision of you for the last couple of songs uh, with, a, oh, yeah. with a leg warmer on, uh, stepping up and down on a coffee table. I just... How, how did you know? Get out of my <laughs> life. Get out of my room. <laughs> I was actually, to pump up the jam, I was taken right back to 1989 in Ibiza with my rah-rah skirt and sandals until 7am in the morning. Because <laughs> now you must have had routines to that one. Uh, yes, of course. What are you talking about? My aerobics career? Yes, you're you're very <laughs> my short-lived aerobics <laughs> career. Um, yes, indeed. But mainly, I had routines to "It's Raining Men" by the Weather Girls, of course, and "I Need a Hero" because they were sort of good up-tempo ones to dance to. And um, "Chain Reaction," another one, very oh, good by Diana Ross. That's such a good track. I mean, I gave myself a I'll black. I'll send eye. you my tape. I gave myself have a black eye to real to real. <laughs> <laughs> and I think BBC Breakfast or GMB, they're missing a trick. Mer- aerobics with Marie McCurlin. Oh, yes. They could do a live... I will write to them forthwith. And it's outside a, broadcast from the east- beach. From the beach every morning, you outside oh, a beach hut, you know, in some nice day glow lycra and uh, doing a routine. That, I mean, that's all coming back, isn't it? Yeah, that's 10 minutes of airtime right there. Or is that too long? <laughs> I, can't, I can't do it though at the moment because there's a beastly easterly wind. I can't even swim at the moment because Good. it's too dangerous <laughs> with the wind. Um, not to mention the bitterly cold. It just goes right through you. A, what do they call in Yorkshire? A cheek biter, I think. That's well, how windy it is. Yeah, but people are still... I, you know, I've seen pictures of people kind of like breaking the ice to get into water. It's just, stop it now. Stop it's it. It's an addiction, Graham. It's an obsession and an addiction, and people need to get their hit. It's a positive one, as long as you don't die of hypothermia or heart attack. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I just think anything, many other anything that is sold, anything that is sold to me by telling me how great you feel afterwards i kind of think so the selling point is it's great when it ends i'm thinking <laughs> well I, that's not good enough I, I i want it i want the thing to be great so i'm um, yes i'm not i'm not sold on it but good I've luck given, to you i've given up trying to um trying to convert you graham i know that that is never going to happen so are you sitting wrapped in a sleeping bag just looking at the waves in a kind of like oh sad no, way i'm in lycra and leg warmers you've just said <laughs> i'm actually my little studio that i set up i hadn't factored in the sun this morning which is slightly in my eyes but never mind um graham i had quite the day out yesterday I went up to the hospital again. It's marvellous. Oh, you're so lucky you're ill. I know. (laughs) You're ill. You would never get out. I want a ban on that phrase, what are you up to at the moment? It's just such a ridiculous thing to say to people. What are you up to? What are you doing this weekend? The same as every weekend, existential crisis and crying into my pillow. Uh, Did you have a procedure? Did you have a procedure yesterday? I had the, the finally had a camera up my chatterbox, which oh. is um, very interesting. I mean, it's the best telly I've seen all week, frankly. Graham. Did they I'm give you? Did they give you the DVD t- afterwards so you can, you know, watch it again at your yes, leisure? Yes, I'm going to actually set it to music. I thought Pink Floyd, <laughs> The Dark Side of the Moon, might be good. <laughs> and uh, was it all lovely up there? It's all good. I live to fight another day. I have to say thank you very much to Emma the Pipe, as I as I christened her, for being so gentle with me. 
Mind oh. you, I did have sedation and painkillers, so she probably was really brutal. Who knows? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I did love, on your show last night, your televisual show, I did love Adrian Lester doing the electric boogaloo. Well, now, who knew that serious Shakespearean actor uh, Adrian Lester had that in his skill set? Uh, and he's quite pleased about it, isn't he? Well, no, because I thought I can't... Because I knew there was breakdancing in the play, and I thought, I can't embarrass him by asking him to do some breakdancing. Nope, didn't need up be got be got oh yeah body popping couldn't he stop it i want someone to make a meme of him doing the electric boogaloo because it was so good no but it was like he had a little routine worked out that he kind of because he built it up he said well we all remember this and then it became robotics and then that turned into the electric boogaloo. you know he he'd worked it out it was a proper yeah. little turn i think if we'd have given him another 10 minutes he'd have been on the floor doing the northern soul spin yeah no i really think uh, uh, you know he probably had a, some lino down his trousers he was going to <laughs> <laughs> Rip it out. And then, there he goes. Lino down his trousers. Well, that's what they Going need. Going on the Graham Norton show, what do I need? Keys, <laughs> check, phone, check, lino down trousers, check. Got it. Got it. <laughs> Got it. I, um, my friends, I need some advice myself, Graham, because oh, yes. my friends who are in my bubble... And I go and have lunch with and we watch an episode of Drag Race. They've got this lovely Art Deco flat and they've got an Art Deco um, sort of electric fire that is built in to the surroundings. It's I understand. very, very chic. Very Poirot. Very Poirot. All the bars are on. And then as the evening progresses, one by one, they are turned off. And when it's when I think they think it might be time to leave, there's only one remaining, so it's very cold in their flat. And they're in their pyjamas. What do you think they're trying to tell me? I think they're trying to tell you to go home. Uh, that's <laughs> so what go I, away. Yes, I think Poirot, we don't need Poirot to, <laughs> to figure out that mystery. <laughs> they're trying to tell you to uh, take your hook and sling it. <laughs> <laughs> Does that mean I can't go over there tomorrow? You can't do what? Does that mean I can't go there tomorrow? No, my bard. No, no. My electric fire bard. No, you can you can reappear because you know are lovely. What about if when I arrive, Graham? There's only one bar on when I arrive, and they're in their pajamas. (laughs) And they're in their pajamas. (laughs) Pajamas. I have to say, actually, happy birthday to Mark Lease, um, who's one of my bubble. It was yesterday. And Teddy loves him very much. They were teasing me about that when people phone in and say, you know, and my, I love my wife very much. Please tell her I love her to the moon and back. And, of course, the wife is sitting there. Just tell her yourself. What's the point of a shout-out? Oh, it's nice. I mean, wait. Hey, you think it's bad today? Wait till tomorrow. Oh, I can't even imagine. Oh, I mean, uh, yes. I, I, it's going to be a Valentine's Wall to wall tomorrow with love. I've love, already love. sent in a lot of them for you, Graham, from imaginary ones for me. Obviously. Thank you very much. I'll be reading <laughs> them all aloud. Uh, talking of reading, have you got some letters, my dear? I have. Here we go. Dear Graham and Maria, Last summer, it's quite a long one, sorry, I just prefix it that. Mm-hmm. Last summer, I was absolutely delighted when my only son, who is in his 30s, proposed to his girlfriend, who moved over from Italy to be with him. They have two children, two young children. I'm incredibly close with my son. I've been a single parent to him since his father died when he was three. I'm also close with his fiance too, as her mum passed away. The three of us joked that lockdown could be the perfect time for them to get married. His fiancée has been married before and they both want something low-key. A few days ago, his fiancée asked how I'd feel if they got married this summer and I wasn't invited. 
She said they really wanted to be married and it would only be the two of them at the registry office with a big party to celebrate afterwards when it's possible. I said I was fine with this because it's the same for her father. But now I feel... Don't go away. Now I feel overwhelmed with sadness. I'm so happy my son and fiancé feel comfortable enough to do what they want. But I also feel so sad they'd prefer to do this without me there. I just assumed I'd be included. I understand, but I'm sad I won't get to see my only child make this commitment. How can I help reconcile this in my own mind? That's from Sandra in Newcastle. Do you get it, Graham? She's quite sad. I do, but I feel like you're not taking Sandra's grief uh, seriously. Well, look, I'm going to say I am taking it seriously, but I'm going to say I think there's a sort of case of COVID lockdown-itis here, which is... We are all feeling very needy because we're all being deprived of the things that we normally have. But I do slightly want to say to Sandra in Newcastle, I'm I'm not dissing you, but you need a reality dose here. You need to count your blessings, Sandra, in Newcastle, because, look, you've not only got your lovely son, who is in his 30s, and um, his fiancé slash girlfriend slash wife-to-be, um who has also lost her mother, and they're two young children. They've kind of done it. They've done their commitment thing. And you have gained a wonderful, you know, family there with your son and the wife and the children, girlfriend. And so you've got, you're winning. You're already winning. Now, the fact that they want to get married is, it could just be a legal thing. They, you know, for tax purposes or for, to make sure if anything happens to them, which is very wise in these days. Um, So it's, it's a bit of paper. They're doing it in a registry office. It's not the big thing. You'll get the big thing, mother of the son and bride, and you know, be able to show off when there's a party which will be coming. And so, look, it's their life. He's in his mid-30s, or he's in his 30s, and he's kind of, you know, this is a tiny thing. You know, I won't see my only child make this commitment. He's made it, Sandra, in Newcastle. You've got two lovely grandchildren to show for it and a daughter-in-law in all but name. So uh, I just feel if you're going to be sad about this, this might just be, you know, COVID making you think, oh, why does it always happen to me? Or why have I been left out? You haven't. You're perfectly in their life. You are part of their lives. You are very lucky, as I'm sure a lot of Virgin Radio listeners will also concur, that it's it's a tiny thing. I mean, you obviously feel differently, Graham. Well, uh, no, I, I agree with a lot of what you say, but I do think Sandra and you got, you're, she's allowed to feel sad. This isn't the way she wanted it to be. This isn't how she imagined it. But what you've got to do this is... This is not how we imagined life to no, be. No, no, but no, but, but this isn't about COVID. You know, this isn't about... They want to have a low-key wedding anyway because, you know, she's been married before. Da, da, da. The father, presumably, is in Italy, so he's not coming. So... I, I get they're having their small wedding. It's not what Sandra imagined. But the point is, Sandra, you've, as Marie says, you've got to now make your peace with this because that's the wedding they've chosen to have. And as I've, I've said this many times, it's their special day. It's not yours, theirs. So they get to do whatever they want. You get to be disappointed and a bit sad. Boom. Now, 
get on with it. Now move on. Because as Maria says, you've got lots to be happy about, lots to be cheerful about. You raised this little boy all by yourself and look at him now. He's got his own family and they are including you in their lives. It's just... Half, 20 minutes, it's not even, it's about five minutes in a dusty old registry office, you won't be there. And actually, if you were, wouldn't you feel like a bit of a third wheel because you can't even go to a restaurant afterwards and, you know, just... You'd yeah, stand. there's nothing to do. You're I just, mean, yeah. you can wait for the party and then you can do... I'm sure they'll do, you know, they'll replay the registry office video or something at the party and God you can forbid. do the crying there <laughs> and your proud mum acting. And, I mean, I don't, I don't mean to sound harsh, but I am being harsh because I just think there's a... We get lots and lots of problems of people that are, you know, estranged from their children and their grandchildren and their, you know, daughters-in-law. And they're very, very sad about that. Now, that is sad. You have a lot going on here, which is so good, Sandra, in Newcastle. And as Graham says, it's a tiny little service, which is, there's nothing really to it. It's not a big celebration and there won't be other people there. Yeah, and and Sandra would prefer to be there. But guess what? You're not going to be. So you, like, so you, what, what, what? Your only option is to make your peace with this. And I think you, you know, you've you've been through a lot worse. I mean, you lost your husband. Exactly. Uh, you know, all those things. You know, you brought up this kid by yourself. You've rolled with the punches, Sandra. You know how to live life. This is a tiny little thing. And yes, in an ideal world. You'd be there in a, you know, in an ugly hat, and it, <laughs> it would be great. But that's not very kind. But but she's Sandra not. Sandra has a lovely selection of hats. <laughs> I happen to know. But she's not going to be there. And I think you know what's sweet is that your daughter-in-law to be asked you, "Do you mind if we do this?" And you said that you know it's like you said, the church. No, you know, I don't you know, mind. Speak, do what you like. Yes, speak now or forever hold your peace. She did. She said, "No, I'm fine." So now you've got to live with that. You And also, you did the right thing, by the way. I'm not saying you should have said, no, I want to be there. You did the right thing. You said, no, no, I'm fine. You do that. And now make that true, Sandra. You know, fake it till you make it. Just pretend you're fine with it. And it will be fine because... And you're just not, remember, you're... Sandra, that it's quite easy at the moment to obsess over small things. And it might be a big thing. But then just look at the bigger picture and think, actually, it is a small thing. Everybody's healthy. The children are fine. Why am I, you know, moaning? Exactly. (laughs) Hannah in Bridgeport says, Well done to you for not being a nightmare parent. I know it's hard, but stay strong. They'll share as much as they can with you, but allow them this moment to share for themselves. It's not that they don't want you there, but it's a private moment between a couple and it sounds like they value you a lot for asking. Stephen Limehouse, my advice, tell them you're sending a cardboard cutout of yourself for the wedding day. It'll comply with social distancing and at least you'll be in pictures. Well, no, that is a... uh, (laughs) It's a suggestion. (laughs) Imagine if you did that. But then you'd have to get a picture of the father as well and bring him in. Christine for Suffolk, I think Sandra should ask her daughter-in-law to reconsider and to invite her and her father as it feels like a special occasion that she would love to be there and love them both very much. Which, I mean, and I get that, but like I say, you've got to back off and kind of go, this is their special day. How do they want it to be? Because, you know, when Sandra and Newcastle married the father, uh, that was their special day and they did it how they wanted it to be. Maria in Cheltenham. I feel for that mother. She should say that she's thought about it and it's too important to miss and they can't shut her out and she will never get to do that again. Children are so ungrateful. Stomp your foot and demand to be there. 
Yeah, that'll end well. <laughs> Our special day and her. Yeah, just the two of us and your one over there. This woman deserves to be at her only son's wedding day. What do I know? This is a man. If it's a small wedding, so be it. One person standing proudly at the side won't change that for the happy couple, but will make all the difference for the proud mama. She has done everything for her boy and made him the man he is today. Don't be mean. Let her go. And I mean, there is that. Yes. But they did ask her and she said, no, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'll just be sat here with a face like thunder. Sandra, you are overthinking this. Like Graham Maria said, it's in a registry office. It's no big deal. You are clearly very, very important to them anyway. So just enjoy the party afterwards and get over it in the nicest possible way. That's from Victoria Stratford-upon-Avon. Nikki in the Wirral says, lack of empathy from advice so far. Oh, here we go. Sandra has made it very clear that she knows it's not about her, but is understandably sad. Sandra should talk to her son to express her feelings without blame or suggesting that she wants him to change her mind but simply to let him know that she'd love to be there on the day, but she's okay if she can't be. He might be feeling slighted that his mother isn't bothered about not seeing him get married. I'm not sure anyone's that good at hiding their feelings. I have a funny feeling they know that Sandra would like to be there. Hence why the daughter-in-law was shoved into the room. <laughs> you ask her. I'm not, I'm not going to ask her. Uh, Craig and Lucy and Habit, I think you need to accept that this is their choice and put your energy into finding them the perfect toaster as a wedding present. And uh, I usually agree with your wise counsel, but I am the mother of a single son. I would be heartbroken if he did not want me to be there at this sacred, yes, sacred moment. It's not about the hat. Sandra said it was fine because she loves them both. You and Maria have this one wrong. Sandra, my thoughts are with you. I know you'll put a brave face on it, but here's a big hug for you. That's Sally and Bray. And Nikki in Stockport says, the couple getting married, won't they need two witnesses? Unless they are planning on asking two strangers, they are one of two slots up for grabs. Go for it, mom. Oh yeah, gate crash. Because that, 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 that's also a really good idea. Graham and Maria. In 19... Oh, no, 1920. <laughs> well, we are old. Our demographic, old. our demographic is... Re- we're really changing Virgin Radio. <laughs> now that we've got all those octogenarians in. Uh, 1920. So sorry, I'll start again. Dear Graham and Maria, in 2020, I developed a quarantine crush. All these new phrases, I love it. I emailed him and he replied. I attempted another email and then received no answer. I thought this would all just pass, but I can't seem to get over him. He's also in the UK and I'm in New York. Some friends say email him again, others say just move on. You've got a lot of good friends there. How do I get over this during a pandemic when isolation just breeds more yearning? And that is from Vanessa in New York. Well. Vanessa in New York, you've said it yourself. Isolation breeds a sort of madness. I mean, we we talked about it with Sandra in Newcastle because you've got not enough going on in our tiny little brains. And so we fixate on things, on one thing that we can't really change. And, you know, and then we create a fantasy life about it. I'm sure you've already married this man and got a wedding dress. And where are you going to? And are you going to invite Sandra in Newcastle? And... So I think what you have to do is what your friends say cleverly, move on. You send him an email, you know, you reached out, well done, good. You fantasised about him, it's all going to go beautifully. And then he replied, hooray. 
But you don't say whether or not you got a kind of come on in the email. But you sent another one, I'm guessing a little bit more pushy, and then nothing. So that nothing, uh, Vanessa, in New York, tells you exactly what you need to know. Also, he's in the UK and you're in New York. This is, you've turned it into a fantasy that is never, ever going to happen. So I would say get back on those dating sites and start chatting with other people. Take Break the yearning for this particular man who is out of your reach and um, break it by getting some other excitement in your life with other people that you can't meet, but you can chat to online. Yes. Graham? I feel Vanessa is using us. I feel used because... Do you? She, well, Do you? Because, because this guy, maybe she knows that he listens to Virgin Radio and she, this is really her third email. This is what this is. This is her kind of... She's. I won't email him again, but I could write to a British radio station and then he might hear that and know that I love him. I mean, unless that email in 2020 said, I love you, really, it, you know, it was 2020. It's now 2021. Stop it. It's, you know, it's not... This is not going to happen. Or if it is going to happen, it's going to happen after quarantine when you're travelling or whatever. But, you know, he is not sitting in London dreaming of Vanessa in New York. So just know that. He's doing whatever he's doing. I would say, Vanessa, look... Instead of staring at your computer screen, look out the window. See who's walking on the streets of New York. And New York isn't quite as locked down as here. You can drink outside. You can eat outside. So, you know, you can see your friends who are telling you, don't email them again, move on. You can meet up. I think you can meet up for dates outside in New York if you go on... Uh, you know, so look for someone... Best we don't get involved in that, I think, Graham, because nobody has any idea. No, but also, but it, doesn't, know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter because it's New, York. it's New York, so I'm not advising anyone to do anything dangerous. So, no, 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 no. Uh, no I so I, I just think... Uh, Meet people you can meet rather than fantasising about this man who you can't meet and isn't interested in you. I mean, we've all been there. We've all let our minds and our hearts go down cul-de-sacs. But Have we? Yes, but now it's time to go beep, beep, beep and reverse back out uh, onto the open <laughs> highway of love, Vanessa, and uh, find somebody who's available. This guy... This is a quarantine crush cul-de-sac and no mistake, but she is yearning. I think she's yearning for sort of, you know, she wanted the... She wanted the excitement. And you can create the excitement with somebody else. Somebody in, I would say, A, New York, and somebody who, B, is going to reply to you in the affirmative when you, you know, tell them how you feel, which I'm guessing you possibly did in your second email that he didn't reply to because he didn't know how to reply. So he thought, if I just ignore it, she will get she would get the idea. Yes, clearly she has I hasn't. mean, you could send him a third email and say, um, hello, I, um, I wrote a letter into Virgin Radio and Graham and Maria advise me to move on. <laughs> Do you think that's wise? Or you could, you or you could email them because I'm going, oh, just checking that my second email didn't go to your spam folder or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, it didn't. It really did Send didn't. him a gif of some dancing girls and then, you know, just keep bombarding him until no. the police come round, Vanessa, in New no. York. No, no, Vanessa, no. And the other do thing that. I think, I think there's a slight thing where if people are slightly feared of their of being hurt or their heart it's kind of easier to invest in something that will never happen you know that he lives thousands of miles away mm. there's no traveling at the moment there's no nothing at the moment so in a way it's quite safe to sit in your apartment in new york and 
have an emotional attachment. It's it's like having a crush on a pop star or something. It's it it's, is. It, you know, you it's, can, but you can make it up. It's a bit like people who write to um, folk in prison. You know, because they're nev- they're not around you can make up your own fantasy about what they've said or what they've done in the letter and how they're missing you and so on i mean you know do that if you want if it's going to help <laughs> vanessa in new york yeah just pretend he hasn't replied yeah, and date someone on death row that's that's a better idea yeah you're quite right maria <laughs> very good advice here oh, yeah is. i mean you know they, they they come expecting quality advice and they get it <laughs> <laughs> No, we're not. We're not. Um, we are taking you seriously, Vanessa, in New York. But seriously, you have to move on and find <laughs> yes. someone else to have a pointless crush on. Tim in New York. Vanessa, you are so much better than whoever this crush is. Put your best clothes on. Do whatever it is that you love to do and forget about him. Not worth your time. Yasmin and Keel. This guy is going to be getting loads of emails if he's working from home. Make sure your next email has a strong subject title. Mark it urgent. Make yourself known in his inbox. Well, now, Yasmin, Yasmin and Keel, who actually has a job. See, I, me and Maria don't have jobs, so we don't understand what someone's email inbox might look like. If, if somebody gets to me an email, I see it. But you're right. Maybe he missed it. Mm, it's unlikely, isn't it? Uh, Christine and Newmarket, Vanessa crushes have to be both ways. Unfortunately, the crush isn't interested. Uh, move on. Uh, Jenny Oxford, not sure why you're bothered about this guy. New York is full of people. Hop on Hinge. I've never even heard of Hinge. What's Hinge? It must be another one of those apps. Tinder. Whatever you have out there, I'm sure you'll be getting attention in minutes. And you forget about this guy who can't string a sentence together in an email. Graham, tell the woman in New York to beware. He may be a scammer, leaving her to sweat until he comes back with a sob story asking for money. Tell her not to fall for it. Well, Mary from Barnet has gone from (laughs) zero to 60. It was it was an unrequited crush a minute ago. Now her entire life savings have been stolen by some man. Uh, okay, be careful. Uh, Vanessa, have you tried Tinder? Laurie in Cheltenham. And uh, Bunty in Cheadle. She returns. Vanessa in New York. First of all, I'd pay good money to be isolated in NYC right now. Well, jail, as the kids say. Ah, oh, yeah. Uh, what I can tell you is that a UK chap indulging in dialogue with somebody, it's impossible, nay, illegal to meet in the flesh right now, will be averse to commitment and Far better on screen than reality, bless him. Me, I love men, I love men. I just don't want to own one, thank you very much. But if you do, look closer to home, sweetheart. Okay, thank you, Bunty in Treadle, for that firm advice. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. He's an actor, an impressionist, an all-round lovely man. John Colshaw joins me now on the line. Hi, John. Good morning to you, Graham. Great to join you. Hey! Now, you... You, sir, well, you know this, uh, but you are uh, doing a play, a monologue. Now, how is, because people are doing these online performances and some are from a theatre, some are in a little studio. How are you doing yours? Yeah, this one's from a theatre. It was the Theatre Royal in Windsor. Um, and me on the stage and five people in the audience. I've done gigs like that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> five people in the audience. Um, filming it and uh, turning it into a, in, into a short film, really, crossed with a play. And because, you, so we should say, these are, it, it, the, there's a series of these plays, uh, Barnes People, and they are monologues by Peter Barnes, and there's four of them. Your one is Billy and Me, and is it set in a theatre? Yes, it is. It's sort of in those moments of rehearsal, a few hours before the show starts, when the theatre is empty. So it's very atmospheric in that way. 
And Michael Jennings, the character, is a ventriloquist, sort of a seasoned entertainer, an old school pro. And he just wanders onto the stage just to have his moment with the, the puppets and just have his own bit of rehearsal time. And this is where his spontaneous imagination, the voices in his head, take a bit of a flight. And he's a character who's faced some issues in his time and needed some help with them, the, you know, the voices in his head that he then gives to the puppets to bring them to life. It turns out to be his own counselling in a way. And so that's really what this monologue centres on. And of course, it was originally performed by Alan Rickman on the radio. So he, you know, we could just imagine how good Alan Rickman was as a ventriloquist. But presumably, we're having, we're seeing you. So do you have to, are you you kind of, have you learnt the skills or are they just cutting away to the puppet so we never see your face? There's a few moments, there's a few moments where I have the dummy sat on me and I do the ventriloquist act. I received a ventriloquist dummy for Christmas back in 1978. And I used to play with that. And I was surprised how many of those skills were still there. It wasn't called Finnegan, was it? Was it called Finnegan? Uh, Mr. Palanchin, it was, with orange hair and a cloth cap. Oh, that, I think, well, I think different name. I think I had the same one. Orange hair and a kind of black and white check hat. That's it. That's the fellow, yes. Yeah, cheap as <laughs> chips, I mean. <laughs> yes, exactly. It was, it was a very sort of chilling, rather frightening thing in the, way, in the sense that clowns have become that now. Uh, but the skills, nevertheless, remained and they, they were very handy. But as the monologue gets going, he, he, he puts the, the dummy on the seat. There's four of them on the stage. And he just looks to them and talks normally and has this conversation with, with, with all, of the, all of the puppets bringing them to life. And, I mean, how normal or how different is this experience? Do you rehearse it as you would? You know, if you were, if you were doing this monologue as a, you know, a show in, in Edinburgh or just a theatre show or whatever, are you rehearsing it in the same way or are you doing it for the cameras? How does it work? Yes, it, it's it's done as a filmed piece, really. Uh, it, it's done in a movie kind of fashion. The rehearsals were, it was a long session over Zoom with um, with the director, Charlotte Peters, where we just talked through it and worked different ways to play certain sections. And then you, with, with that Zoom rehearsal as fresh in your mind as, as possible, you then take it to the stage and, and get the piece on its feet there. So, yeah, a, a different way of working at the moment, but um, you've just got to get used to it and get on with it. And not to be odd, but I mean, when you're doing a play where you're not... You know, you're not, a, you're not you haven't been cast because you can do a voice. Uh, how do you then still have to pick a voice or will you sound like this? <laughs> yeah, for, for the ventriloquist character, the feeling that he brought was, you know, someone who talks a little bit like this, you know, someone who's quite relaxed in his experience of the showbiz world. He probably performed with Jimmy Tarbuck and Bob Monkhouse. You know, you learn a lot from these guys, <laughs> that kind of person. And you look at the puppets and their faces will inspire another sound. The, the, the main puppet, one called um, Little little Billy, uh, I've heard from him. The sound of uh, David Beckham cross with Del Boy came to mind. Uh, there was an army major who was like a very miniature William Hague. Um, but you know, the sort of about the old school army tone of voice comes to mind there. And you just look at their faces, quite cartoony faces, and see what it brings to mind. And you just run with that. And where did the puppets come from? Did somebody make them or did, you, did somebody source them from, you know, Puppets R Us? 
<laughs> yes, there was. Uh, now then, um, there was a fellow who specialised in making these and building them, and the controls are uh, astonishing things. But a very kind fellow uh, let the production borrow uh, four of his uh, ventriloquist dummies, which were quite tricky to operate. But thankfully, the experience of Mr. Palanchin in 1978 uh, was very helpful and um, very surprising how that was still at the, the front of the mind when it came to working these more elaborate ones. So, I mean, I remember, uh, mine wasn't Mr. Palanchin, but, but it was quite basic inside. I remember there was a thing to open the mouth and shut the mouth and you could swivel the eyes and turn the head. I mean, how complicated is in the, is, are the guts of a professional ventriloquist dummy? What goes on in there? Oh, the, the, yeah, there's so many more. You get the basics in the one we were talking about. But with, with these, there's a, there's a flap to make the ears move forward. There's another one to make the toupee lift up, um, like Donald Trump on a windy day. Uh, there's one to make the eyes blink. There's one to make them wink. There's one to make the bottom jaw go. There's one to make the top jaw go. There's another one to make him gurn, like, like Les Dawson. Um, I, I felt short of about 30 fingers to, to do it properly, really. But you do what you can. Do you know what I mean? People think they're buying tickets to see you, but really, <laughs> I want to. I want to see the puppets now. Uh, yes. And it's called Barnes People, and it's streaming online from the 18th uh, till the 31st. Oh, 18th of February to the 31st of July. So yeah, it's just it. so. So you are. So you, these aren't live live streaming, or are they live live streaming? No, it's 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 all in the can. It's it's all produced and oh, made. Oh, okay. And it was done from the theatres. And um, it, it, it's great to be part of something which is one way that the theatres can just come back with something in these times when they're dark, uh, finding something that they can do. Um, also, it must be lovely that you were in the theatre and uh, because you were there, somebody had to open it up, someone had to turn the lights on. So, you know, so everyone was kind of back in a way. Yes, exactly. That feeling of just being in a, a working environment, a very... Very good for the soul, and there's such an atmosphere in theatres. You know, the, the sense at the moment that they really are sleeping giants, yeah, and they're ready to come back in their own own time. There's something about the, the wisdom of the theatre walls over hundreds of years, where you get the sense they're saying, "Yes, we've seen things like this before. We shall be back." And uh, tell me, how do people find? Do, do we just Google Barnes people or? Yes, that would be certainly one way to do it, or uh, originaltheatreonline.com. Oh, there you uh, go. Originaltheatreonline.com, and it, it, it's, all, it's all tied up in there. Uh, but you should say congratulations. Dead Ringers uh, has just been voted best radio sketch show of last year. Hey, well done, oh, you. Thank you very much. Thank you. And, and, but is it a joy, or is it a, oh, God, it's still going, uh, if you have to do an impression for an entire play rather than just a sketch? Well, I, I rather love that. Um, a, a sketch is great because you drive into the punchline and twang, there it is, and you're on to the next one. But it's lovely to use another part of your mind and go into a different rhythm and just portray a character over a whole narrative where you're just wanting it to ring true in red of, instead of the you know snapping of a punchline. Yeah. You just want to let that story breathe. And I, I love doing things like that. Um, I do quite a few things with uh, Big Finish Productions, playing a few Doctor Who characters, the Brigadier from Doctor Who. Um, and it, it's lovely to just let them let the characters breathe like ah. that. And it, I guess doing radio things or doing the, the Big Finish, the audiobooks and stuff, is lovely because the sky's the limit. Because when you did Dead Ringers on TV, that must have been such a kind of 
added burden doing the prosthetics, doing the makeup, having to try and look like the people as well? Yes, it, it, in a way that, that helps you to lock into the character a little bit more. Um, it can be very confusing that there were times when uh, myself and Jan Ravens, who I think is listening to us right now. Hello, oh, Jan. hello, Jan hello, Ravens. Jan. Hey. <laughs> we, we'd be sitting in the makeup chair. We, we'd sit down as ourselves. And then usually because you start so early, you tend to nod off. So when you then wake up as, as Dame Judy Dench and Lord Sugar, it takes you a few seconds just for that to compute. <laughs> Who the hell? Because um, how did it start, John? I know you, was it Capital Radio you did the vo- the prank phone calls and things? Yes, I did. I, I used to work with Steve Penk on there. And uh, he was known for doing his comedy phone calls. If ever he needed a character voice such as Frank Bruno or Tony Blair or John Major, whoever it was, uh, I'd step in and, and help him out. And, uh, yeah, I always loved working with Steve. It was, he, he gave me a, a lovely platform then. It was great, great fun. Because were you on the circuit then doing impressions? Is that how he found you? I, was, I never really did live at that stage. I, I was a DJ myself. I, I worked on the regional stations. Um, and doing voices and characters was a, a bit of a party trick on the show. I just sprinkled them through the program. Um, and so doing live performances came later. I sort of did it the other way around. Um, but it, it was a lovely thing to do to work with Steve. Um, and it sort of catapulted you to fame because we, I think, you know, because people didn't really know who were doing the, the voices. And then when you, you did that one, what were you, William Hay getting through to Tony Blair? Is that? That was the yes, that was yes, the big that, that went huge. Yes, it did. That was that was in 1998. Can't believe it. So long ago. That time has flown. But William Hague was this uh, irresistible <laughs> voice, and uh, and um, I was talking to Steve, and he said we, we've got to use this somewhere. And Steve would always see the most direct line from one point to the other, and he said, "Well, we've got to phone Downing Street." Um, yeah, well, very well, very well. They won't put us through, so we'll uh, just sort of try to spin it out as long as we can. But by fluke, it was Wednesday morning, and it would have been quite usual for William Hague to call through to Tony Blair at that time, the day of Prime Minister's questions. So it just wandered on through, and Blair played along in a rather chirpy fashion. And then he mentioned it at Prime Minister's questions, and then it was announced by Sir Trevor MacDonald. Uh, the day reached peak surreal at the time of news at bed. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, it's amazing. Uh, amazing. Uh, listen, John, Barnes People, Barnes People, tickets now available. It's streaming online from the 18th of February to the 31st of July. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, enjoy the rest of your weekend. You too, Graham. All the best. Love right. to join you on your new show. I know. It's all shiny and new. All the buttons are clean. Uh, <laughs> I'll talk to you along the way. Bye. Bye, bye, bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Hello, Michael Cashman. I can see your house from here. <laughs> I, I, can, I think I can see your house as well. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's funny. I'm at the top of the tower here and I'm looking out towards the East End. And, you know, I was saying earlier, you're only 70. And yet what happens in, the, in your book, in, in your memoir, one of, the, one of them, is extraordinary. How, you know, the world has changed completely in that time. Oh, I mean, amazingly so. Um, not not just you know living back in the east end uh, where i was born on this the council block and w- worked in this tiny shop dickensian little shop at the age of 8 for lou clench and now rising from where lou clench's corner shop was 
is Canary Wolf. Um, but equally, the, you know, growing up as a young gay man, I knew at my earliest age that I was different, that I was attracted to the other boys. And when I look at the cascade that I had from the 50s into the partial decriminalization of the 60s and a young actor touring around the country and visiting eye-popping bars in, in, um, in various parts of uh, the, the Northwest and the Northeast, and then catapulting into the, uh, the 80s and the, uh, the AIDS pandemic, um, uh, and then coming out of that, and the battle for equality. And, and the, the world has changed and the country's changed. And oh my God, the country's changed for the better. And, you know, when I last spoke to you, I think you'd, the, the hardback was just coming out. And the, the, the book has been in the world for, what is that, a year now? And I just wondered, because it's, your life, a lot of your life was very public. We knew a lot about you. And yet this book is also very intimate and very private. What has the reaction from readers been like so far? It's been absolutely wonderful. Um, the, the letters I've had, the responses on social media, um, that people are really pleased and I've been honest about all of the amazing things, all of the outrageous things and the darkness uh, that I experienced for many years as a as a, uh, a young boy and then as a teenager, um, and and finally meeting someone and developing a not very straightforward and common relationship. Paul was thirteen years younger than me. It was Barbara Windsor that introduced us up in um, Scarborough, and people have have liked the fact that I've been honest. And also, Graham, I think you know it's a bit like listening. Uh, to a broadcast, you know when someone's being honest and you know when somebody's flanneling and never more so when you tell uh, a life story. Uh, but somebody, the, one of the, the peers that I work with, an ex-law lord, he, he came up to me and he said, he said, I read your book. He said, <laughs> uh, he said, make me laugh. He said, my God, you're honest. I said, honest? He went, yes. Sometimes too honest for my liking. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you've, got, you've got to go for it. And, 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 you know, Paul died six and a half years ago. I miss him every single day. And, and unless you celebrate the life you've had, and unless you celebrate the fact that it's only love, you know, that sustains you, it's only love that gets you through. Unless you celebrate that, then what's the point of the 70 years? Yeah, because as you say, you know, it's a theatrical memoir, but it's also a political memoir. And then, as you say, it's this beautiful, but unusual, but very frank and true love story that kind of weaves through the, the, the whole book. Yeah, and it's a love story that, you know, the battle going into politics before that, founding uh, the uh, LGBT rights group, Stonewall, um, having the tabloid frenzy when I was in EastEnders and the first gay kiss, recognizing that you can only get through all of those things and take on those battles and those challenges if you've got someone to be with. That brilliance of being able to turn around to someone and say, I'm scared. I don't think I can do this. Um, and um, uh, 
And so the fact that you said it's a love story, it is ultimately, it's a love story. And it's, it's a story about a, a man, a young man, who taught me that I was worthy of being loved, that I didn't have to be hurt in order to be loved. Um, and, uh, and there's some beautiful tender moments, but there was a lovely moment here in the flat, his 50th birthday, and I looked at him and I, and I thought, oh my God, we've been together 31 years. And I went over and I said, I said, Mr. Cottingham, we've been together 31 years. And he went, 31 years? He said, That's longer than my inside leg. Go away. <laughs> and, you know, you, you, you used to see him at, at, at Eurovision. He, he lived life like nobody else. Um, and boy, was I lucky to meet him. And... I mean, the, the the end of the book is, you know, it, it you don't expect to pick up a, a book by a, a life here and end up ugly sobbing at the end. But it is so heartbreaking at the end. And I wondered, did you did you hesitate at being so open and letting people into those incredibly private moments? No, because in a strange way, the story writes itself. You know that, this as a writer. Uh, I'm not one of those that sits down with chapter outline. That's what I'm going to do. You have a story. And if you're courageous enough, it's a bit like uh, improvising. I'm sure John Colchall talk, talks about this, where, where you stand up and you have that start, and then you go on the journey. And, and, uh, and it, all of your experiences, what is fascinating was I, a lot of it I wrote, and then I went back to notes that I'd written and and back to the diaries, and it was absolutely accurate. Um, but, but yes, you cry at the end, but, but it's the laughter that pushes you through. And I think because of that laughter, and because of the tenderness and the honesty um, in the relationship, that, that is why I think at the end uh, people cry, because of the, the separation. But it, it's the... Um, it's the fun times uh, that I remember and uh, some of the outrageous things. I mean, it's a wonder we weren't arrested. In fact, Paul nearly was. And the fact that he was <laughs> nearly arrested at Gatwick Airport meant that suddenly I met John Reed and Billy Connolly and Elton, and they all ended up doing benefits for Stonewall. So there you go. Something came out of that. And Michael, the book you write so well and you're so good at conjuring up place and emotions and things. Has it, this kind of whet your appetite? Are you going to write some more? Um, I, I do want to write some more, uh, actually. Uh, and I'm, I'm working on a, 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 an idea for a play because uh, I wrote a couple of plays years ago um, that were directed by Alan Akebourne. But I'm eager to get back into prose. I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, my, my brilliant editor-in-chief, uh, Alexandra Pringle, uh, and Callum Kenny, they, they really nursed me along and, and it was a wonderful experience. Um, but yeah, I don't know about you, Graham, but there are, there are parts in the book where I, uh, I go through it and, I, and, and, and there's a phrase and I think, my God, where did that come from? And there's a moment uh, in the book where uh, I talk about the fact that um, my, dad, my dad had died and, and, and his four sons, we we carry him to the grave like we carried our mum. And, and there's a phrase I use, it's something like, um, we four knew 
we would never carry again, carry together again. An ending had begun. And I thought, where did that come from? That, 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 that the finality of a family, four sons, um, it would be one of us that would go next. Um, and that, for me, has been the joy of, of writing, uh, of finding ways to express emotions, uh, new ideas. Uh, you know, you, you said jokingly about, you can probably see my house on the river. Uh, I, I face, I've got a wonderful view, and whenever I see a sunset, I don't see the end of a day. I see the beginning of a day elsewhere. And, and maybe that happens to you when you lose someone that you've been with uh, for 31 years. I don't know. But looking at the world differently and then doing that in, in a book um, has been a real um, privilege. Yeah. And, and recalling wonderful human beings like Mo Molum and the time, the wonderful times that we spent with her. That's the joy of being able to write and recall. And in terms of, you know, legislation, things like, what, what state is the House of Lords in right now? We see the House of Commons is sort of up, sort of up and running. Is the House of Lords open? Yes. Um, in fact, we, um, uh, I take part um, uh, via the internet because they discourage, um, because of social distancing, quite rightly. So I, I'm uh, often online and indeed... Um, it goes to show a piece of work I started in the House of Lords uh, four years ago uh, after, after negotiating with the government. Um, that's now been introduced into the Armed Forces Bill, which has started in the Commons this week. And that extends posthumous pardons to, uh, to people who were in the Royal Marines and the Army uh, and who were convicted of uh, crimes relating to homosexuality. I now uh, am pursuing the other part of uh, that reform, uh, which is extending it to those who are living uh, and, and um, I'm putting right the wrongs uh, that people suffered uh, by being themselves, by being true to themselves. So the Lords, the, the Lords is a great place to work because I spent 15 years in the European Parliament. There, no one political party has a majority. So you have to work cross-party. It's exactly the same in the House of Lords. Yes, it needs reform, but actually the way it works, reviewing legislation, refining it, and sending it back and asking the Commons to think again, I think is a really good check in a democracy. And the fact that I don't have to look over my shoulder and, and say, if I do this, am I going to get uh, re-elected? What's important in all of politics is that you do the right thing. That is what matters. I have to say, I'm so ignorant. I didn't know that legislation could come from that direction. I thought it came from Commons up to the House of Lords. I didn't know that you could start a thing and it could go into, into the Commons. Who knew? Well, there are, there are various ways of doing it. The government can choose to start a bill in, in the Lords, uh, but I started, so there was a, in 2017, uh, there was a, a bill going through the Lords on, on the Policing and Crime Act, and I introduced an amendment into it. That went back, and that amendment was accepted uh, by the Commons. With this that's just been introduced into the uh, Armed Forces Bill, uh, that was my private member's bill that started in, in the Lords, uh, and I entered into negotiation with the government uh, to make the case for them bringing it 
into legislation. Well, listen, fascinating to talk to you, Michael, but um, we're kind of out of time. I'll be kicked out of the studio any minute now. So let's just remind everybody that Michael Cashman, your memoir, one of them, is out in paperback on Thursday. Good luck to you, sir. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Coming up soon, I'm in suspense with Eve Houston for her new Netflix drama, Behind Her Eyes. But first, the glorious Gabrielle tells us all about her new single, Stop Right Now, and what we can expect from her upcoming album. Hello, Gabrielle. Hello, my darling. How are you? I'm very well. All the better for talking to you. Uh, congratulations Aww. on uh, new music. You did it. <laughs> despite did the odds. Despite the odds. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, because, uh, I mean, I mean, it's, I mean, presumably it's always hard to put together an album. But now, uh, how did you do it? How did you, how did you record this? Were you in your kitchen or did you manage to, <laughs> do you have a recording studio in your garden? What, what happened? Oh, no. I was in the studio and it's a big studio so because it was work we were able to socially distance those separate booths big couches that allowed us to it almost felt like we were shouting across (laughs) one another but it was effective and it was fantastic Um, I did this album I was writing and recording material um, for a while and then I did the Mars Singer and it was after that you know that it was just it was a no-brainer was just totally loving the songs that I was singing on The Masked Singer and I wanted to put them on an album and that's what I did. So, you know, only five of them, by the way, and then five new songs and two new ones, which one you just played, Stop Right Now. So I'm really excited that I was able to do this in these crazy times. No, because the other one, because I, th- I was listening to the album and I thought, oh, Can't Hurry Love, I know this song. And, uh, <laughs> and then, of course, oh, no, it's not that Can't Hurry Love. It's, it's your, it's a new one. one. That's right. That's right, another one that I'd written. And I was just excited because the album is a mixture. You've got that really kind of old soul, uh, you know, sound. And then you've got, you know, me singing Billie Eilish, a Billie Eilish song or a Harry Styles song. And even Stop Right Now, which is not a soulful song. It's just a beautiful song that I just enjoyed running, you know, I say bopping around my kitchen, but I don't think anyone else says that anymore. Oh, wait, <laughs> but, I think we do. At Virgin, we do. Yes, we bop well, a lot. <laughs> And I'm glad that people have been um, tweeting me and messaging saying, really love this song, it's a bop. So I'm like, it's a bop. I'm using this, even if I'm so old-fashioned now, I don't care, I'm loving it. And tell me this, I mean, the the covers you've chosen, I mean, they're sort of fearless. I mean, you are an amazing vocalist, but, you know, you do the Jacksons, you do Tracy Chapman. Were you, did you have to be talked into any of these or were they all your choices? No, they were all my choices. They, they, they were songs that I sometimes sing in the shower. I actually never thought that people would actually get a chance to hear me sing them. And it is a bit scary when you've got the originals out there that are amazing. They're classics and, you know, by rights, maybe no one should ever really touch them. So I'm being a bit brave. But it's just me not trying to be as perfect as they, as they are, but just to sing them and have fun, which is what I did. And I hope people can hear that when I, you know, when they listen to the album. So you know, amazing songs and just sung my way. And also it is just beautiful to hear your voice doing those songs. And your voice is so distinctive. I mean, The Masked Singer, it's such a bonkers show, but I did so, I got so suckered into it. But every Saturday night I'd be going, it's Gabrielle. (laughs) Why are you getting, it's Gabrielle. Um, because carry on, I'm I'm laughing as you're saying that. Yeah. No, because it's just I was just thinking like, were they told don't guess Gabrielle too soon because you know because we want to keep her in the competition. I don't know what they were told. You have got to remember, 
I never once had any contact with the judges. So, you know, you don't have contact with the judges, you don't have any contact. You might fleetingly walk past another character in the hallway, but my dress is always too big for anyone else to pass me in the hallway. (laughs) But you don't get, you're not allowed to speak. So, you know what I mean? The judges weren't allowed to know who it was. So if they were deliberately not guessing me, I didn't know. But I must say that watching the show back and then reading the tweets and the Instagram, where everyone's coming and saying, I knew it was you from the first, you know, that's you, Harlequin. And not being able to say anything when the show started. I was like, how could they know it's me? I thought I was doing a good job. But now I really, you know, concealing my voice. Now I realise, Graham, I was... Oh, no, I shouldn't say that. I was rubbish. No, you weren't. You were Gabrielle. That's who you were. It was like... I, I, wasn't, I wasn't supposed to be, but it was almost like the fear got me. And when I thought I was concealing my voice, when I watch it back, as it's been unravelling these last few weeks until last night, I realised that I wasn't doing a great job at all. I thought, oh, my God, no, I could never get any from the, from the offset. From the moment I opened my mouth, people were saying, I knew from the first second, in fact, some hand movement. How, 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 how? You don't know, but it was fun. And tell me this, when you were watching it at home, because you recorded it a while ago, I know. But yeah, So when you're watching it at home, how good were you at guessing? Because some of them, I mean, Sue Perkins, I've never got Sue Perkins. Me, not in a lifetime. I mean, I take my hat off and I'm bowing to her. She's like the queen for me because if anybody did a great job of concealment, it was Sue Perkins. But I felt they all did. But, you know, to someone who, you know, she's on our telly, not, you know, not singing. So to actually have her unmasked and to know that I actually went off next to her, I'm like... She should have been in the final. That's how great she is and was. So, you know, it was it was phenomenal. But I am rubbish at guessing. I mean, I thought that Joss Stone, I mean, you know, I thought I thought Sausage was actually Louisa Johnson. So that's how rubbish I am. So <laughs> don't ask me to who I thought anyone else was. I give up. Um, tell me this, uh, Gabrielle. Uh, this is the last question I'll ask you about the massacre. Uh, but at the end, when they take your head off, I mean... Yeah. How long is it between taking the head off and then us seeing you? Because the fragrant, beautifully coiffed Gabrielle we saw <laughs> cannot be the creature that's underneath that mask. Listen, I was, let me tell you now, everyone, my, um, every, you know, everyone, you know, they have to take the hat off. And I was like, I'm, gonna be, I'm, gonna, I'm really scared. And they're like, oh, no, you're actually fine under there. I'm like, OK, I'm happy about that. I'm Gabrielle. There's certain things that need to be concealed. <laughs> um, wow. it, was, it was in everyone's interest for me to look the best I could. No, I mean, you must have your own air conditioning in there or something because you look, you look perfectly talked and just, oh, hello, hi. Well, thank you, my love. A makeup department hiding under the skirt. Who knows? I, had, I could have had a world of people under it. It's so huge. <laughs> I should remind people that, so Stop Right Now, that's the single we played earlier and that is out now. The album, yeah. Do It Again, is out on the 5th of March, but you can pre-order it now at gabrielle.co.uk. Is that all correct? Fantastic. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and yeah. then uh, you've got a tour. And this tour, I, you, this is going to happen, right? It's November. That will happen, sure. It's November. I, you know what? I've been telling everyone, I've got my eye on the prize. I believe that they're going to roll out all the things necessary to get us back out there. And that's all I can say. And I think if we all work together and send out that positive energy that's needed, then I think we can all, we help each other out. We, I could be doing my tours. Everybody else could be doing what they need to do. And those of who want to come and see me and have a bit of a party, Trust me, that's how we've got to roll right now. And I love the title. It's the Rise Again Tour, which is just a perfect title for a tour. 
definitely. Um, can you imagine? I mean, well, you don't have to imagine. Soon you'll be there. But like the <laughs> atmosphere will just be electric when people get back into concert venues, won't it? You know what? I think it's going to be a phenomenal feeling. I think it's something that we've all been waiting for, gagging for. I mean, obviously, that's one amazing thing. On top of just being able to get out, socialise, see our families properly and, and hang out with friends. So I think that, yes, you're right, it'll be electric and it will just be one of the many things that will happen that will just be feel good for us all. So I'm, I'm looking forward to that. Um, I'm the same age as you. Any news of your jab yet? I haven't had any news. You, you know something? I haven't had um, any news, but apparently because I had COVID over Christmas, I can't have anything for about three months. You have to wait about three months oh. until three months after you've had COVID to have the jab. So no, no news about my jab right now. All right. And did it hit you bad? Did you get it bad? or is it a- I got it for about a month and it was crazy in the sense of I've got mild asthma. So I had my asthma pump, um, but it was the worst thing for me was the headaches. It was having it was like having a, a cheese grater on your brain and it didn't matter what painkillers I took didn't even touch the side. So that was horrific, let alone all the people having really, you know, really awful symptoms. Yeah. I think I got off lightly, but um, yeah, I just, my heart goes out to everybody suffering. It and, sounds and, you know, miserable, just, yeah. yeah. And did did so the rest miserable. of your family get it or was it, just, were you kind of... Um, it was just me. I think that my son had got it earlier in the year, but that's before they even knew it was COVID, that his work went down pretty quickly um, just before we went into lockdown. So I think, you know, the, the, my youngsters were all immune. It was just me who got it. So, um, yeah, I, I got through it with their help and that was it. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm COVID-free now. And tell me, when something happens like that, do you get, are, is your first fear your voice? When you get sick, do you kind of think, uh-oh, what, please, please don't touch but, my voice? Usually, it's always, whenever I get ill, the first thing to go is always my voice. But at that time, um, I wasn't even thinking about my voice. I was just too ill to think about my voice. Yeah. And, and as I started to, you know, um, get better, it took a while. But yeah, it's the last thing, but it's something that your voice can heal and it does heal. And the fact that I wasn't really talking anyway, a lot of rest, a lot of sleep is good for the vocals and steaming and hot water and stuff like that. So no, as much as my voice is always thirty effect during illness it wasn't really something that was on my mind at the time I was too ill to think about my voice and singing well you're sounding great now we're glad you're back in the world the Rise Again Tour uh, 2021 is this November starting on the 7th in uh, Salford and ending in London on the 26th you can get uh, remaining tickets available there at gabrielle.co.uk and that's also where you can pre-order the album Do It Again Stop Right Now is the single it's out I'm exhausted just listing the things you're doing (laughs) (laughs) it's been a real pleasure talking to you, Gabrielle. Take care of yourself. Congratulations. Thank you, my darling. You take care too. <laughs> bye. Thank you for having me. Bye bye. Bye bye. Bye bye. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Eve Euston. Hello, Eve. Hello. Happy Valentine's Day to you. <laughs> ah, ah. Ah, ah. Lovely. <laughs> Are you doing special things or is it just a norm, um, another day? No, it's just another boring day. Just another day. Just another London. lonely day. <laughs> but you live in London, right? Um, I've been living there, yeah. I, I usually live in New York, but I've been living there now because of Corona. The old Corona, yeah. The old Corona. <laughs> The old COVID, you know. Uh, so listen, this uh, this show, Behind Her Eyes, if people haven't read the book, I mean, they really have no idea what they're in for. 
Because yeah. So explain how it so it begins to uh, so, so explain who you are and explain kind of how it begins, what we think we're watching. So basically, it's it's hard to explain. We've had such a hard time promoting the show because we can't say anything. <laughs> so we just keep telling people, please watch it. It's it's good. I promise. Um, but basically, if so, it follows Louise, who is starts a new job um, at a psychiatrist's office, and she starts an affair with her boss while also striking up a friendship with his wife but they both don't know about it so she's sort of playing them both and it becomes this sort of strange love triangle but then there's also this dark secret but uh within the marriage that she starts to uncover and dot 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 we can't really say anymore but suffice to say, Billy Bonkers. I mean, it's just... It's Billy it, Bonkers. It yeah. goes in directions. <laughs> you know, because I was watching it and I'm thinking, oh, I get it. It's like kind of, you know, uh, you know, what was the doctor one? Doc- it's like Dr. Foster or it's like, you know, it's that right. kind of thing. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a family drama affair. Da, da, da. No. Oh, no. No, <laughs> no, no, no. Think no. again. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, yes, yeah. And, and also, I mean, we can't give anything away, but by the end we kind of realise what an extraordinary challenge it is for you as an actor in what yeah. you're doing. I mean, mm. oh. I mean, we can't say anything. I, th- I don't think we can say anything. But, I don't but, think we can yeah. say anything. Yeah. That's what's been also very hard is, yeah, I, I cannot talk about the show. I just can't. <laughs> I just can't talk about it. But it's great and everybody should watch it. <laughs> and, um, oh, and you know what? Eat, forget the plot. The house you live in, that's worth it alone. Oh. It's gorgeous, isn't it? The, are you talking about the one in Scotland or the one in, in London? Oh, the London one. But uh, tell me, oh, the, yeah. the, the London one, is the inside the same as the outside? Do you know what I mean? Sometimes on telly it's all... Oh, yeah. No, it was, it's a house in Islington. It is? Oh, well. Yeah, yeah. I know. Producer oh, You know what? I'll pleased. look up the address and I'll, I'll send it to you. <laughs> Uh, no, it looked gorgeous, absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, yeah. And, and that th- those sorts of things must make a before you know a thing easier. You know that 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 sort of that house and your beautiful pajamas and everything. It sort of does a, so much of the the lifting for you. Sort of, but it was we shot it in the summer in London, in this in that house with about fifty crew. And we couldn't put on the air conditioner because of sound. So it ended up just being like this sweaty, smelly, <laughs> disgusting house. And we had this one green room on, on the rooftop on the roof that just stank because like the heat would rise and we would go up there to take breaks and uh, we it was just disgusting. So most of the scenes I'm, you know, in a foul mood just because it's so hot. Um, I'm extremely dehydrated in this entire show. Well, you'd um, never know. You'd never know. Oh, thanks. You thanks. do. And also your accent is flawless it's really good oh stop it no I was actually really nervous about that because I got cast really late I got cast like two weeks before we started shooting and um they they lit I sent in a tape and two days later I was on a plane and you know my agent said okay so you get there blah 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 and by the way you're doing a British accent I said what I've never done a British accent before I can't I can't do that. And he was like, well, I lied and you're doing it. So you better figure it out. So I had two weeks to to put that together. So that was my biggest fear was getting it wrong. No, because it's amazing. I was actually listening to it and I was thinking, God, did she grow up here? Or, you know, because I just assumed you'd grown up in Ireland. But uh, because I think Irish people, we find, I think we find it much easier to go American, which you've done. Yeah. Yeah, I can do that in a a heartbeat. Because now that was the thing. So you... 
you let what age were you when you decided right uh, an actor's life for me uh i was 15 i i did this movie it was an independent movie with actually she was my tutor um and she was a filmmaker but she tutored on the side and she wrote part for me in her movie when i was 15 and I had no idea what I was doing, but she said, just learn your lines and, you know, show up. And I got to take two weeks off from school and I went, um, my mom was very upset about it. Um, but that was sort of when I caught the bug. And then I went, I moved to New York when I was 18 and I went to, uh, to Tisch, to NYU, to the drama school there. Um, and yeah, and here we are. And because, of, you know, you grew up in a, in a sort of, it's not just that you had famous parents, but you'd kind of cool parents, which must be kind of worse than famous parents. Did they, did they ask you to say that? No, no, but you know what I mean? They're cool. cool. famous yeah. parents. Well, you know what I mean? Like I, I heard stories about you'd go to parties and like they'd be there. And you're like, oh, yes, God. Like, that was the worst. I, I went to New York, moved to New York when I was 18, thought it was so cool. I was living on Washington Square Park in the dorms. My parents conveniently renovated the house that year. So they had to move to New York with me. So they were living in their apartment uptown and I was trying to get away from them downtown. And I remember there was this really cool party at the Jane Hotel and like all these cool people were going and my friend invited me and, you know, I somehow got in like without an ID or whatever and I was on the list and I was very excited and I walked in and my mum was standing there with a tequila and I was like, mum, what are you doing here? And she was like, oh, honey, I was invited to this party weeks ago. <laughs> I, I take it all back. They're not cool parents. <laughs> cool parents do not follow their child to New York. <laughs> exactly. But yeah, she was always going to the better parties and she didn't even want to hang out with me at the parties. It's ridiculous. Well, that's good. That's, that's good. Yeah. At, least, at least you got that bit right. Is it competitive between you and your brother? This is your brother, Elijah. So yeah, he, followed, he followed your dad into the music industry. Yeah. Do you sing? Uh, no, I did not get that gift. Okay. I got I got the sort of desperate need for attention, that's for sure, but I didn't get <laughs> singing, unfortunately. So, um, so when no, my brother sings like a bird, yeah. So he's an inhaler. And so yeah. when you at 15 were going, right, I'm, you know, school schmool, I'm going to be an actor, yeah. and your mother exactly. was very disappointed, what did she yes. want you to do? Did she want you to follow her into kind of political things, campaigning, or were you supposed um, to be a doctor? What was the idea? No, they actually, they never... They never really told us. They just told us like what not to do. <laughs> like just, they were kind of like, "Don't be an actor. Don't go to Hollywood. Please, God, no." Um, I, my my dad always had this hang up about us all being architects, which <laughs> he loves property. A, Bono and property. Is, he loves yeah, property. He does. You know that is his love language is property. Um, but uh, yeah, he was all into art. We were like, "What? What?" Architect. And we're like, no, no, there's no way any of us would have become a good architect. What are the other yeah. two? Are the other two in the creative industries? Are they gone practical? John is, uh, John is 20, I think, or 19. No, he's 20. Oh, God. I mean, no one me. talks about John. But he's, in, <laughs> well, John's in college and John is the most low-key, get out of my face, kind of like, I, I'm not bothered with any of this. He's in college um, and... My sister runs a tech startup. She runs the action button. So she's in the tech world and she has her own company and she's very smart and important. You can catch her on CNN. Oh, she'll own us. She'll own us soon. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh she yeah, will. she will. 
God. Uh, <laughs> and did you, when you were in Dublin for kind of the lockdown, were you all yeah. together? Were the, yeah, the we Houstons, were all together. Which the, whole, the, the, the six, the six of us were there. Which I think for yeah. parents, it must be kind of hellish because you kind of thought, we thought we got rid of you all, but equally kind of lovely that you're all no, back together it's again. it's my mum's dream. It was my mum's <laughs> dream. The minute COVID happened, she called me and my sister. She was like, I need you home. I need you home. We don't know what's going to happen. You're coming home. So she was in heaven. Um, and then me and my sister were a bit confused because we've been living in New York on our own for 10 years. And we're like, this isn't how we thought our year was going to go. <laughs> um, but actually ended up being fun. We, we do have a good time together. So there was a lot of parties like within the group. And yeah. yeah. We try, to, we try to find silver linings where we can. Let's uh, remind everybody, Behind Her Eyes, Behind Her Eyes uh, is available to stream on Netflix from the 17th of February, which I now know is Wednesday, thanks to Houston. <laughs> so smart. Uh, all right, Eve, enjoy the rest of your day. Take care of yourself. Thank you very thank much you. for talking thanks to so us. Thanks so much for having me. All right, bye. cheers. Bye, bye-bye, bye-bye. Thank you very much for joining me for the Graham Norton Radio Show podcast. I'm back on Virgin Radio from 9.30 on Saturday morning and the next episode of the podcast will be out first thing the following Monday. Talk to you then. The Graham Norton Radio Show. Virgin Radio. Virgin Radio.